Welcome to the Following the Way podcast. I'm your cynical and yet surprisingly affable host, Jason Dickey. Joining me on the podcast, uh, I've got a good friend of mine, Brian Orff. Brian and I have known each other for uh, a long, long time. I think we met back at summer camp in 2002, 2003, something like that, Brian? Yeah, I have no clue. It's been too long, probably. (laughs) So, Brian, uh, you uh, have a bachelor's degree in uh, biblical studies. You've preached in Texas and Oregon and in Missouri now, right? Yeah, just just, uh, actually been starting to work in Missouri, so I've been really neat to engage in that and evangelize, so... Yeah, pray that the Lord blesses that effort. Yeah, that's uh, that's really exciting. Um, I'm I'm excited for you and uh, and the stuff that's uh, that's going on there in St. Peter's. Um, and and really that really provides kind of a good backdrop for the discussion that we kind of want to have this evening. That's balancing out this need for holiness and unity. Um, I think uh, you and I both have been uh, Christians long enough, even though neither one of us are particularly old have been around the church long enough, been Christians long enough to see members disfellowship from, to see the repercussions of churches having split, um, to have seen um, division occur within our brotherhood, within our fellowship. And, uh, you know, that's at the cost of preserving holiness. And yet, at the same time, unity is something that's pretty powerfully talked about um, and, and emphasized throughout the New Testament. So um, that's kind of yeah. what we wanted to talk about uh, this uh, this evening. So. Yeah, you know, I thought it was even kind of interesting when we had had started this uh, work here. There were different people that just had questions and different things. And um, I got an email on, uh, or or I guess a a message on Facebook from somebody. I I hadn't met him before, but he was just kind of like, why is there another work starting when there's, you know, works here and there and um, churches all around? And if, if people could just put aside these um, in, in his in his words, petty differences, then we could all unite, and that's what Jesus has in mind. And uh, I think that that's something that a lot of people, especially just in today's world, um, and, and just in the religious world as, as well, just there's this desire for coming together and wanting to have fellowship and just uh, see each other as brothers in Christ and, and have that harmony and unity that uh, is talked about in scripture. But uh, it is interesting to, as you have this great ideal in mind, to see that there are times where that's that's not exactly practical and valuable. And uh, it's just a weird, interesting struggle. And uh, so it was really neat. I mean, even as we've been talking about it, to just kind of search that through the scriptures and see those themes, Old Testament and new, and uh, just very interesting as uh, got to look at that more. Yeah, I think so. And it it is interesting. I mean, on the one hand, obviously, we can recognize that there is a need for preserving of at least some modicum of holiness, right? I mean, the the classic example is there in 1 Corinthians with the uh, the man who's sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother, and then there has to be discipline done. You know, he can't come in and act like everything's okay, and we can't treat him like everything's okay if there's this, you know, pretty terrible thing going on. And uh, so clearly we all understand, I, I think, if we put any thought into it at all, that there has to be some sort of preservation of holiness, of morality, of standing for truth. And yet at the same time, you know, there is certainly a need and a command for unity and for laboring with one another and being patient with one another. And so that's a difficult line to kind of draw. And so um, I think it'll be interesting to to talk about that a little bit this evening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because in some ways it, it's almost as though they seem to be polar opposites, right? Like, I mean, even the term holiness, it, it means set apart. And then in the same... <laughs> In the same uh, desire uh, of God, he is telling us, 
let's all come together though. Let's have unity. And I mean, I guess as I had kind of started looking through scripture, I mean that, you know, again, that, that's something that the, that the world even desires is, is, uh, ironically as that is in a polarizing you know, society in a, you know, in political spectrum, it's like, okay, we're the United States of America. We're united. We want, we want to be together and why can't we all work together? And yet, you know, you've got right and left and just, uh, incredible tension and, um, polarization. But, um, that was one thing I thought was really interesting that, uh, um, from the very, beginning, um, you know, I, I think the Bible kind of starts out with this unity of God with man, right? Like his desire is to have relationship for them to be together. They're in the garden together. And then, um, even though like that is such an ideal of God very quickly, you know, man sins and because God is holy, he can't have part with man. And so they're separated. And it's really interesting. I mean, like I'll maybe even uh, just um, throwing this out for you. I mean, like uh, when you think of unity in the Old Testament, I mean, where are the first couple times you start to see God or, or just see people being unified? Yeah, I mean, you see you see a city a city set up by Cain um, after the flood. You see Babel being set up. Um, you know, the, the, when people come together, you know, in the first part of the Bible. Um, it's usually not for a good thing, which is, which is pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think like that's, that's, you know, the times where people have everything in common, it's, it's in the, the fact that they're all thinking evil thoughts continually before they're destroyed. You know, it's like, Hey, great. There's unity. That's what we all, you know, talk about if we could all just, you know, have the same mind and they're, they're having the same mind. It's just, continually on wickedness <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, it really is a fascinating thing because like you're saying we all say that we want to be unified we all we all complain about how republicans and democrats can't pass things in, in government um we say the same thing about our religions you know uh you know the different denominations that crop up and we all disagree and why can't we all just get along we believe in the same god and and all those sorts of things but fundamentally you know, there is a difference there and there has to be some standard of what is acceptable and what isn't. And determining what goes too far to where you can no longer be unified is a really, really pretty difficult thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, sure. and, you know, ultimately, you know, hopefully uh, as we get towards that, towards the end, we can, we can talk about how to kind of parse that out a little bit better. But um, I think you're right. It just, it's fascinating that, there's this perfect unity in the beginning and everything is good, but the unity is with God and man. And then there's a unity that we see both with uh, the city established by Cain, both with Babel, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, cities, people coming together. And the difference is that these are people coming together and not people coming to God. I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. Point well, like even what there. you said, as far as, um, you know, like that's that's what people will say in the political realm. You know, why? You know, we we want to have have uh, agreement, and we want to you know have this United States. We realize even even our own actions betray the fact that unity is not. We, we understand that unity is not the ultimate goal, and which is what is is encouraging uh, when we see those kinds of disagreements. <laughs> that yeah, we're not willing to just unify over anything. And that's, you know, that's, that's the danger, right? You have these times where people are completely unified, like at the Tower of Babel, where, hey, everyone's speaking the same language. Everyone's working towards the same goal, but it's to make a name for themselves. And like you said, Sodom and Gomorrah, great. The whole city is gathered together. They're, they're after the same goal, but it's to perform, you know, some of the grossest acts of immorality. And uh, as far as unity and and the goal of god it's it's to be unified through god and not uh and not just unity in and of itself and if we're going to be unified in anything but him and holiness and purity then he would rather disperse and divide and confuse or even destroy rather than have that kind of unity so um 
to some degree, when we get so frustrated even today, you know, in the political realm or whatever else that people can't get along, uh, there is some encouragement to be had there knowing that, yeah, it, if, <laughs> um, if people did all, uh, all agree on some of the things that are being posed in the political realm, it could be really dangerous rather than really beneficial. Yeah, I actually really like that. Um, that's something that I hadn't thought about before. Um, take courage uh, and encouragement from uh, disagreement. Um, you know, through through the dialogue, through the through the kind of infighting that we see, um, you, you actually show that there isn't um, th- that you're actually trying to accomplish something good. That there are people trying to fight for something good. It's when everybody gives up that that the world is lost. Um, and uh, you can see that time and again. I, I think it's interesting. You know, we're mentioning this thing about uh, only unity in God. It makes me think of John chapter 14, or John 15, sorry. Um, you know, that passage there where Jesus is there praying with his disciples uh, right before he's betrayed. And he says specifically there in the first part of John 15 where he's praying about this true vine. Right, and he says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit." You know, abide in me, and I in you. Uh, the branch that cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I mean, the whole point of this analogy, as he goes through that, is to say, "You are the branches growing off of me, the vine." And everything that you do that bears fruit positively is because it comes from me. Um, I think that's a pretty powerful sort of analogy that has kind of slipped by me, um, to be honest, for you know most of my Christian life. It, because it shows that it has to come from God. It has to come from Jesus. It has to be born from those things for it to actually be good fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting, too, to think of that concept. That that's the goal is for us all to be unified in holiness together. But it's something that, you know, does seem to maybe take time where, yeah, you've got you've got a lot of pruning and a lot of cutting off of off of dead bread branches and dispersing and scattering before those those, you know, vines that are growing kind of develop to to become the majority, so to speak, and encompass the whole and just outgrow anything that, you know, uh, is, is needed to be cut off and dead and left behind. And it's really interesting too, to see that it's almost kind of like, as far as unity is concerned, it's almost like God works backwards, you know, where it's like, you know, like, yeah, like the whole world is, is unified in sin starting out. And so instead I'm just going to I'm just going to start out small and I'm just going to choose eight souls and then I'm going to choose Abraham and essentially, yeah, set him apart and then make him into a nation that's going to be a nation that's set apart. And again, that's that's the holiness aspect. And over time, that will grow and encompass others. But but in these early stages, when the goal is ultimately unity through holiness, we just got to start out with a small group and get them holy, get them right before they can have the influence on others. <laughs> yeah, that, that is interesting. This, this kind of intersecting, you know, because we, we kind of started off by setting up holiness and unity as opposites, um, as things that kind of fight against each other. But it's interesting that God really kind of uses them together uh that one teaches us about the other right um that he uses you know this this set apart nature this holiness as a way of helping us to appreciate being unified with him um it's just it's fascinating yeah yeah it, it amazes me how many concepts like that are in the bible that are that are so difficult and can be really confusing but um, ultimately they just need to be balanced. And sometimes it's so easy to go to one extreme or the other, um, whether it be holiness and unity or justice and mercy. It's just like God's always wanting the balance of these things. And fortunately, you know, Jesus seems to really show us that. And, uh, um, any of those difficult topics, uh, 
it's always good to turn to <laughs> to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe maybe that's the answer in that, right? Because I think it's a little bit easier for us. We, we at least spend more time, I think, as Christians wrestling with and fighting uh, with the idea of the wrath of God versus the mercy of God. You know, that's something that people ask us about quite a bit. So I think we're better equipped to answer that question and understand it. And ultimately, I think we get the fact that it's because of his wrath that his mercy is shown to be so great. If there was no repercussion for sin, then mercy doesn't really exist, right? If there if there's no great consequence for sin, then God forgiving us of sin doesn't mean anything. And so the consequences help us better define the importance of the forgiveness of the mercy and those sorts of things. And I think the same is probably true of unity and holiness, right? If if holiness was some something so easy to grasp, um, if, if there was no such thing as holiness, of being set apart, of being pure, of doing things the right way, then unity means nothing, right? And that's why when man comes together without holiness, you know, back to Sodom and Babel and those sorts of examples, nothing good happens because there's nothing that they're being unified about positively. There's nothing that they're trying to set themselves away from to come together towards, you know, the positive things. Um, you know, maybe there's an answer in there to, to help us understand a little better about holiness and unity. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, like you're saying, I, I think it's, I think it's wild. Like as, as you look to the old law, how it, how it starts with, with a focus much more so on, on the holiness, the set apartness. And it's just kind of like, this is, this is the starting point before we can all come together and, and, uh, you know, play nice. It's just like, we've, we've got to figure out how to first just come into God's presence so that we can all be like him and then we can all play nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as Paul says in Galatians, right, the, the law is this great tutor, um, this great teacher about the mind of God and about the way that he works. And, what we see in the old law is the importance of holiness, of being set apart, um, of understanding that God can't um, join Himself to something that isn't holy because of His very nature. Yeah, um, I mean, and if you don't mind, I think it'd be neat to kind of just discuss that for a minute. Just all these things in the old law, because that's that's what's crazy is to see that, like, yeah, to some degree, like God's intention is in in his nation Israel and uh, as he begins a covenant with them is much more so concerned on, on set apartness so that they can just first be unified with God. And in some ways it's just like all of his laws really deal with being set apart from the nations and, um, not engaging with them so that they can be, uh, unified with God. Um, so, I mean, like even just for starters, like in Leviticus 20, verse 26, it mentions, um, thus you were to be holy to me for I, the Lord am holy and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. And I mean, like you think about the kinds of things that he tells them as far as their engagement with the nations. And I mean, like, uh, it's crazy to think about like how he just is almost against mixing unifying in a number of different ways, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting you go to Leviticus twenty twenty six. You know, I'm looking at that. That's that's right after verse 25 where he talks about clean and unclean animals. I mean, that's because that's one of those things that I, I've been in a lot of Bible class discussions in which people puzzle over, you know, why clean and unclean? Why are some things clean and some things unclean and all that kind of idea? But I think verse 26 explains it, as you're saying. Like, the whole point of the law is to demonstrate that there's an order, that there's a rightness, that some things are to be set apart from other things. Um, some things you eat, some things you don't eat. Some things are moral, some things are immoral. Um, and so you learn from the law, not some didactic preachiness that like forces you to live some sort of weird you know, life. It teaches you this idea of holiness. It teaches you that some things are just have to be set apart. And, um, and I think that that is a powerful place to start, um, a necessary place to start if we ever hope to actually understand unity. 
like you're saying, we have to start here with understanding this idea of holiness and being set apart. Yeah, and it's crazy to think like how God does it. He, he does it in such a physical way, in such, to some degree, an extreme way. Like um, things that you wouldn't think about that, that would matter, like you're talking about clean and unclean animals. Or this verse I came across the other day as I was, I was just kind of uh, studying for a class on Leviticus. We were just doing like big picture stuff and I it just kind of uh caught me off guard I thought it was kind of kind of funny but it was Leviticus 19:19 it says you're to keep my statutes you shall not breed together two kinds of cattle you shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed nor wear a garment upon you of two kinds of material mixed together so it's like you know all these all these aspects of don't unify, divide, keep separate, keep keep things the, the same as they are, and it and it almost kind of you see it, um, you know, overflow into into really those kinds of concepts of of uh, morality and you know uh, pure and unpure as far as you know uh, right and wrong and um, but then again it comes back to those physical things where when it comes to the nation and the people. You know, okay, you're Israel, and I don't want you to be united with Canaan. I, in fact, want you to remain separate and don't make a covenant with them. Don't intermarry with them. And you're supposed to drive them out and, in fact, destroy them. But as we're saying, like the reason for these things are not arbitrary or um, just, okay, God's, you know, just got a special group of people and he doesn't care about anyone else. But he's saying, you know, I want you guys to remain holy. And if you make these covenants, if you intermarry, they'll turn away your sons and they'll end up turning you to their gods and you're a holy people to the Lord. Uh, And I think it's really interesting. Uh, I think there's a practical lesson in this as well. Uh, You know, that example you gave, you know, it starts with the small things. You know, you you have this mindset even in the small things and then you carry it through to every other aspect of your life. Um, Because God wasn't demanding them to have some sort of uh, worship system for him. Uh, Certainly the sacrifices and the washing and cleansing that was required of the law are in there. But what God was creating for them was not necessarily just this process of forgiveness of sins, but it it was a way of viewing the world. It was a way of thinking. It was a way of evaluating everything. And so even when it came to, (laughs) you know, how you hemmed your garment, you know, like how you like how you like, you know, sewed a tunic from that point to every other aspect of your life, you were constantly reminded of this truth that God is holy and he can't abide sin. And so your entire worldview, if you follow the law. But your entire worldview taught you and forced you to see God in that light and to see the world really the way that God sees it. Um, Not that some animals are actually clean versus unclean in that regard, but in the sense that it helps us to evaluate things in in the way that we should. Yeah, I I like how you're putting that. I appreciate that. That's neat. Yeah, I... um... To something that just kind of like was was striking again, just these concepts of, of unity versus uh, um, holiness and purity. I mean, I, I just thought it was even kind of funny too to keep coming over that that phrase of really judgment when people disobey for one reason or another that you cut them off. You know, it's like again, like with these with uh, God's nation, who's kind of you know, paving the way for us to understand better and grasp more through Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, again, the, that preservation of holiness is is seemingly a priority. And it's just like, okay, if someone has this kind of relationship or engages in this kind of sin, you cut them off from the people. Don't want unity. Want holiness. <laughs> <laughs> want purity. <laughs> yeah. And for doing, you know, things as as seemingly simple as, hey, if they don't keep the Sabbath, you know, cut them off. Uh, they're, they're not to be part of the camp. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of moving forward a little bit. Do you think that's changed? 
I mean, when we get to the New Testament, certainly a lot has changed. Um, but, you know, Jesus very memorably says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Um, you know, it isn't that the old law is uh, void. It's just been updated, so to speak. It's been refreshed. It's been fulfilled. It's been brought to its truest form. Um, so let me let me kind of ask that question to you then. Um how has this issue of holiness versus unity changed in the New Testament, if at all? Well, in some ways, I think that like the emphasis, um, the concept doesn't change. Just like we talk about like God and his nature, you know, God doesn't change. Well, he changed his law. But yeah, the, the sense in which we say God didn't change is his nature, right? And so, I mean, it, it's really interesting to see different emphases shift where um, some of these things that they weren't supposed to take part in, they weren't, weren't supposed to touch. Now, you know, Jesus comes along and he really kind of breaks the mold, which, which is really amazing to think about it too. Right. Cause that's going to be their big problem is, is having all this uh, uh, in Israel, you know, intermingling with nations and idolatry, but, then the Lord in some ways kind of purifies them of some of those wrongs through punishment. And they're starting to get more and more, more and more isolated and separate to the point where you get the extreme of the Pharisees who just aren't having anything to do with anybody who has anything that looks wrong. Not that even is wrong just might look wrong, right? <laughs> so it's, it's amazing to see that this concept of being set apart can be taken to such an extreme that it ends up eliminating the possibility of the unity that Jesus wants. Yeah, and, and that's... Really that, wildly, you know, like Jesus hits the scene and you have all this controversy where Jesus seems to be doing what looks like the opposite. Well, and it's fascinating the way you're talking about that because... After looking through the old law and looking at this emphasis on holiness, the fact that it teaches us about God's separation from man due to sin, and it teaches us all these pretty p profound concepts, um, in some ways you can understand how the Pharisees could think that they're doing things right. I mean, now look, they had bigger issues as well. I mean, we, we both know um, that uh, their hearts weren't right, that they were— inconsistent in their application of the law. They were devouring the homes of widows and orphans just to line their own pockets. So clearly yeah, like there's moral saying, issues wrong. But generally can, speaking, the problem can, there is not what we always think it is, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you can, like you're saying, like, well, obviously they've, they've got hard hearts and, and those things that uh, just, despite the, the things that Jesus will do in miraculous fashion, they won't change. I mean, on the, on the other end, like you're saying, you can see how they can logically reason in their mind why these things are not okay that Jesus is doing, right? Like, I mean, even, even when you have such an incredible emphasis in the old love, okay, be set apart. Don't have relationship with, with any of these nations. Don't intermarry with them. They're, they're at this point where, yeah, they're not having anything to do with any of the Gentiles, you know, can't touch them, can't come under their house. But then, you know, uh, and, and as well with people who are engaged in sin, they don't want to have anything to do with them. And then Jesus is over there eating with them and, you know, uh, having crowds drawn with sinners and tax collectors and people that they're just like, what? You know, <laughs> um, and they just won't get past that. That's the failure is that uh, they have the wrong emphasis of the of the concept of holiness. Um, they're just completely concerned with the set apart aspect as opposed to, you know, really the, the point that Jesus is trying to, or, or that God is trying to show in the old Testament of purity of heart, mind, um, those kinds of things and not of just the physical, you know, nationality, which he shows us in the old law as well. Like you, you think about Rahab, she's not, you know, she's not someone who's, a Jew by birth or uh, Ruth, the Moabite woman, but they have good hearts and they're willing to come after this gun. Well, the, 
I mean, even in the old law, there's exceptions made for those kinds of things. Jesus is just going to break that wide open. And, uh, you know, by the time the church is beginning, allowing Gentiles and that kind of thing. And uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the problem of Jesus, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't do anything that you'd expect him to do. Um, And sometimes sometimes we're hard on the apostles or the disciples or whoever else in the first century for wanting this, you know, earthly king to come and sit on the throne of David or, or whoever we describe that. But you can't really fault him for it. I mean, that's that's what it said. I mean, it says, you know, the line of David, the seed of David will sit on the throne forevermore. I mean, you have these prophecies that are talking about that. So you can understand their misunderstanding. But specifically in this unity issue, I mean, you can you can understand the difficulty there as well that, when he comes and says that, you know, the Gentiles are going to hear the gospel and sitting with tax collectors and sinners, I mean, you can understand some of the difficulties that people would have with that. Um, but you're right. I mean, what Jesus is showing us is what it really was about from the beginning. It isn't about isolation for the sake of isolation. It's about teaching us to see the world the way that God sees it. And I think that there's one big difference that occurs with Jesus, right? Right. Because Jesus is actually able to forgive sins. And so that's the next step in this process of tracing this idea, is that we go from man and God, unified, unity, perfect unity, all those things. Then we go to sin, and now we get the unity of man amongst themselves, which is a bad thing. And then there's this unity that occurs kind of with the people of God, but there's still all these strict things about holiness in there. But when you come towards Jesus, and now you have an answer for the forgiveness of sins, now you're able to begin to have this perfect unity again in a positive sense. And so that's one of the big things that changes, I think. Yeah, and it's neat to see, I mean, like just how how quickly he starts to, to mark these, these sort of changes and demonstrate that sort of unity. I mean, we talked about him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, but, you know, you even think about, too, the the choosing of his, his 12, it's really neat to think, you know, how diverse they are, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all sorts of different occupations. And I, I wonder what the age difference is between them all, too. I mean, we we don't know, uh, and so that's idle speculation, but... Uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's... Well, no, that's just something cool to throw in there to, to just, you know, realize as a consideration, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, the the ones that we do, as, as far as the uh, occupation, the differences that we do know, I mean, these are people that would be as polar opposites as you can imagine as far as someone who would be a, a zealot, who would be someone who's just completely against the government, trying to overthrow the government, you know, a part of that uh, revolution revolutionistic kind of mindset versus a tax collector who's working for the Roman government. <laughs> and yet... <laughs> Jesus shows that there is a unity that can be had, and it, and that's what's neat. And I think that that, like you said, that's the answer: is the unity is found through Jesus. Yeah, and and, and of course you see that come to its ultimate fulfillment there in uh, Acts chapter two, where you know before in Babel in Genesis eleven, God scrambles the languages, he he disperses man, yeah. and then here he brings everybody back together where they all hear their same language. And now you can begin to have this unity back together again because of the blood of Jesus and his resurrection and the forgiveness of sins and the hope that we all share together. Yeah, and again, it's it's that idea of, you know, I think almost kind of like that transition between the physical to the spiritual where, you know, uh, this this holiness and this unity all kind of culminates because, you know, like like we said, you have the physical things that are uniting um, to some degree, as far as uh, Babel is concerned, and that kind of a thing, and and to some degree, you, you have that kind of thing happen when Acts two happens. They're they're literally hearing the same language, but ultimately, like what's unifying them is not just the language, but the gospel. It's the spiritual that really is the the great unifier and the great point, and and the focus. You know that yeah, we don't we don't really have to to be as concerned about the materials that we're wearing or what we're eating in separating ourselves in that way. What we need to be focused on is is the spiritual and 
happened, you know, what, what comes in the mouth rather than, uh, or what comes out of the mouth rather than what comes in and, uh, you know, having the right heart. And, um, that's something that be, uh, the priority as far as the, the unification and, um, but I mean, so here's something that like, I think is just kind of an interesting struggle, right? Because, um, you know, we want it, we want to unify in, in holiness. And, uh, I mean, maybe I'm even kind of asking the question that you were asking me right back at you. <laughs> so it's like, almost like, you know, I, you help answer your own question. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, um, it seems almost like there's there's a sort of problem because it's like, okay, we want to have unity and purity, but at the same time, like, we're still sinful. So how do we, you know, nobody's perfect. So how do we, yeah, what, how do we accomplish that is this is now Christ's goal and that's his commendation to us and that's his prayer before he's being crucified. Well, I, and I think his prayer is, is the answer to that, though, too, right? Like, it is through him. Like, we don't unify in ourselves and what we like. We unify in him. So, um, when uh, Ephesians, uh, when Paul writes there and talks about what we have, um, you, you may have the reference uh, in front of you. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it's chapter 5, right, where he says, one spirit, one baptism, one God, one faith, all those things. You know, the idea is that it's okay, that that the way that we are unified, even despite our sinfulness, is through the one that can cleanse us of our sinfulness. And so if we have unity in anything outside of the blood of Jesus, if we're unified in anything outside of this common faith of, and hope of salvation, then it isn't the kind of unity that we need. It's it's worthless. It's fruitless. Yeah, and and I mean, um, maybe even to make it more difficult. <laughs> I mean, because here's the here's the difficult question for me that I I mean, like, two, you know, I'm starting a new a new work, right? So um, obviously, you know, this will this will be something that I have to have a better uh, or a pretty firm grasp on as we decide yeah, who we're going to fellowship with, who we're not. Like, where's the line? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, th th I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the million-dollar question, right? This is the ironic thing, Brian, because if I answer that question, then I am at risk of actually – causing myself to not be in fellowship with people, right? Like the, like the answer to that question about unity is a, is a unity question in and of itself. Like, so it's, it's sick. I mean, it's just, it's ironic, you know, the, the answer, um, you know, will determine a lot about, about who you are even able to have fellowship with. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting because it's like I, I I wonder if there are I mean obviously when we're talking about this there is you know we have to have an answer like we we've, we've got to have something to offer and uh, you know we do have to draw lines but I I wonder if there's maybe even like uh, some helps and aids that uh, that come in you brought up Ephesians four I think that there's some good things to to start with there but then uh actually there's there's the best thing I can come up with I'll offer in a in a little bit as well because um yeah to some degree it's it's almost like too hard of a question for me <laughs> in and of myself I guess um but uh I, yeah I mean mind if we read that that Ephesians 4 or, or you go ahead yeah yeah um we'll uh I, I've got I've got another answer as well so I'll I'll uh we'll read Ephesians 4 and we'll talk about that, and then I'll let you give yours, and then we'll come back, and, and I'll give mine as well. We'll see if we have the same, the same kind of answer. It'll it'll be interesting. See if we're unified in our answer, and Sorry? otherwise, we'll see if we're unified in our answer. <laughs> right. So what if, what if we have different answers? Does that mean that we can't do another podcast together? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, well, uh, so Ephesians four. Uh, 
Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, uh, and I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, yeah, I mean, like, uh, it it seems like Paul's obviously trying to give some answers to this this unity question. He's he's telling us from the get-go to preserve that. That's important. You know, that's what Christ has has been praying. That's what you see, really. I mean, it's it's amazing. I I was kind of surprised how many times there's an encouragement— for unity just throughout the the different letters. Um, I'll just reference a couple of them real real quick. Philippians 2, to complete my joy being by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, another in Philippians, Colossians will all just talk about, yeah, have have this same mind, be in agreement with one another. Um, and I think uh, Paul obviously gives some different aspects of what will create unity. Like it's not just one one thing. I mean, I guess you could you could try to go that route and give one kind of summarizational thing, um, which I would say is love. And we can talk about that in a, in a moment, but. Um, just in this passage, it seems like you've got a couple different aspects where you've got just this aspects of uh, mindset and attitude, like just as it starts, as far as, you know, having humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, showing tolerance for one another in love, and just that aspect of recognizing, yeah, you know, there's a sense in which no one's going to be perfectly holy outside of Christ, and Christ is what will ultimately make us all perfectly holy. That's not going to be achieved you know, in and of ourselves, and we're not going to have perfect understandings of everything, and there's going to be different interpretations. So we've got to have these aspects, right, where we're um, just gentle, kind, um, gracious. But then I, I do think that there's an aspect of – of doctrine, you know, I mean, sometimes that's, that's something that, you know, is almost just kind of frowned upon by some people where we don't like the idea of, of that. We'd rather stick with those words like grace and love and, and that kind of a thing. But, you know, Paul gives a sort of standard as far as, yeah, there are some ones and, uh, they include a belief about different things, you know, I mean, would, would you, what do you think about that? I'll just kind of, Bounce that off you initially. Yeah, I think all the passages you read really kind of get to what I, I see as the answer to this. And the answer is not any one thing like you're saying because if you're going to try and make a list of what was or wasn't a fellowship issue, um, you'd never run out. I mean, you couldn't do it. Um, and so the answer is having this mind of unity that's ground in God, having the mind of God. I mean, that's... That's what it all comes down to, and that's what we referred to back under the, in the Old Testament. When we were looking at some of those laws, like Leviticus nineteen nineteen that you read, where it talks about different types of wool being woven together. You know, it starts with the little things, so that everything that you see, everything in the entire world, is evaluated by this mindset of God. You see everything that way, and so you got these passages in which it talks about you know, having the right kind of mind of unity. But you've also got the passages that talk about bringing every thought captive to the cause of Christ. You know, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, you know, all these sorts of things uh, are wrapped up in thinking like God. And the only way to think like God is to read His Word, to read the epistles, to read the old law, to read the prophets, um, to read and just absorb it as much as you can. And the more time you spend in the Word of God, 
the more I think you can start to see what God values and what God doesn't value. So, I mean, that's, that's my answer. I don't know if that answers your question the way you want to, uh, exactly answers the question you asked, but that's, that's my answer to this problem. Well, and I guess that's what I'm, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I, I would imagine though, like, again, there's no religious, there's not too many religious people that would disagree with you. Right. So, but that's the thing. Then again, we have all these different, you know, churches and things like that. And, and I guess maybe I'm, I'm trying to make it more difficult because I, I know that I'm going to have to face this as, as someone who's preaching and we don't have elders now. And, you know, Lord willing that, you know, that I'm sure is a goal of, of yourself is perhaps to maybe be an elder someday. And, and those are questions we'll have to just, you know, uh, decide more as, as we're trying to oversee a church or lead a church in one way or the other and make decisions who's who are we going to have fellowship with and who are not because if we're just like okay do you you know do you have a mind for the lord and god i I don't think that there's too many people that would say no well well, let me let me let me clarify then because i i don't think it's that you simply have a mind for god and then you can have fellowship with them i think that you discern whether or not it's a fellowship issue based on having the mind of God. So not that you just say, oh, do you, do you have a mind for God? Oh, great, you know, that's fine, regardless of everything else. I think that when you are in a position and facing a situation in which there is a unity fellowship question that comes up, I mean, the only thing you can trust in is that you have the mind of God and that you can discern what God values and then make the appropriate decision from there. Um, I... Yeah, maybe everybody does agree with that, um, and maybe that is too simplistic of an answer. But um, it, it all comes down to how how good you are at reading your Bible, how how good you are at at evaluating the world the way that God does, um, and and that's obviously. Yeah, uh, and guess, go ahead. And I, I mean, I have something in mind as as far as asking that. I, I, uh, I was just, I was just wanting to to kind of. Um, what you were thinking first, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, like t- to me, like there's different aspects as far as far as things that I might take into consideration when I'm trying to unify people and when I'm trying to consider fellowship or not. And um, I mean, like I would I would think that you have those aspects of you know just kind of character mindset as far as you know humility. Um, patience and recognizing that no one's perfect. But then, but then at the end of the day, you know, you have to have that standard, right. Where, you know, Paul will, will say, okay, that there are some things that if there, if someone's doing this or someone's doing this, yeah, you're going to have to cut them off too. It's not just, you know, old Testament Israel that has to cut someone off. There's, there's a, you know, an application of that and, in uh, the church today as well. And so, you know, obviously you've got someone in that uh, immoral sexual situation in first Corinthians five, that's, that's a deal breaker. Um, and then, I mean, too, though, I, 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 I think that there is something where we might come into contact with people that were like, man, yeah, they seem, you know, they seem sincere and, and gentle, but, um, when it comes to something like baptism, we do not see eye to eye on what one baptism means. And we'll both say, yeah, there needs to be one baptism, but you've got someone who practices it for a completely different reason and in a completely different way. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think that uh, there's going to be those tough calls where you, you know, I, I, in my mind, at least, think that you have to kind of hold to a standard and come to a decision on what you think some of those things mean. And, and, uh, if it's, if it's not what, what someone is, uh, convicted of and, um, practicing, then there, there might have to be uh, a sense in when you, where you part separate ways. Um, I think obviously the, the major sins and the, you know, pride and unrepentant hearts, those are a lot easier calls to make than maybe even, even some things that, that, uh, are just differences in doctrine as, as far as, you know, the spirit. Um, cause like you say, you know, some, you said, well, it depends whether it's a, a matter of fellowship, even that people don't agree on, right? <laughs> like, uh, which, which ones are, which ones aren't issues of fellowship, you know? 
<laughs> for some people, it's it's a very different uh, standard, I, I suppose. Um, right. Well, I mean, you're exactly right, and that's that's what makes this whole conversation so hard. <laughs> I mean, everything everything yeah. about it and, and coming to a conclusion is just difficult. Um, trying to figure out how to handle um, these things, and so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I just go back to my kind of blanket, you know, response to that, which doesn't answer any specifics, but hopefully it, it at least pushes us in the right direction to be able to answer those. And that is, we have to think like God. I mean, that ultimately we want to please God. We want to do what glorifies Him. And so to do that, we have to think like Him. And the only way to think like Him is to spend a lot of time, you know, reading reading His Word that He's left behind for us and and trying to figure out what he actually values. Um, and then hopefully we can, we can make prudent decisions about it. I mean, I guess, I guess I'm would be remiss if I didn't mention prayer as well. I mean, we, we read and we pray. Um, and, uh, you know, those are, those are our two, our two go-to responses, right? Uh, anytime anybody preaches a sermon about how to do this or how to do that better, uh, how to be better about these things, we always say, you know, well, we got to read your Bible. We got to pray every day. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of our go-to, but that's because that's, that's all we've got. You know, those are the tools that we have read, pray, and, uh, and, uh, let the spirit guide us, you know? Yeah. And I mean, um, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess a couple of things I'll tack on to what I was kind of, um, some of those things that I was getting at that, I guess, I guess I'm thinking about that a lot in the sense of, you know, just, uh, practically speaking, as far as, like I said, me and my my own uh, context and situation, you know, uh, wanting to, um, you know, reach out to different Christians. And even as I've uh, kind of had more more time to have a secular job and come into contact with a bunch of people who are who would call themselves Christians and who who seem very sincere and that kind of a thing. And just, you know, I desire that unity with them. You know what I mean? Like. That's what Christ prays for. That's what he's, he's calling us to have. And I, I do, I look at, you know, I've even gotten to visit different groups that are Christian groups that I hadn't had the, the, uh, opportunity to, to visit in the past. And it's just, I see, I see so many good things in these people and, and yeah, I just want that, the unity with them. I, I think, uh, I think of how good and great that can be. And I think a lot of people, especially today, as, as there is a lot of emphasis on grace and love and, and maybe those words to a fault and not even their biblical, you know, <laughs> definitions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of people just look at people who are following Jesus and, and really just, you know, want to be very, very gracious Um but I, I do as I'm as I'm like, OK, though, at the same time, I've got I've got a local congregation that I'm going to have an impact in as far as deciding, you know, who who has fellowship, who doesn't, what what constitutes who can be uh, a member with us and, and those kinds of things. I mean, I I I absolutely want to take into account those kinds of character aspects and mindset issues like humility and gentleness and patience and grace. All of those are in Ephesians 4. I think that's really, really interesting that all of those are right there. And then in the middle, it it does seem to have an aspect of some things that, that may very well be, you know, like doctrinal kinds of issues and aspects as far as one faith and one baptism, one spirit, and uh, just how differently people can um, view those, practice those, um, apply those, right, as far as even just the spirit and, you know, people considering gifts of the Holy Spirit and things like that. And so it's just like I, I do still still see like this aspect where, yeah, like I've got to look at some of these kinds of issues especially the ones here in Ephesians 4 and 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 I have to ultimately find a biblical definition for them that that is a standard cuz I don't want to go to that extreme right where it okay I'm unifying over things that actually are not not of God and not what God wants and I don't go to the extreme of just having complete grace in the sense of 
just ending up tolerating, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, or I'm sorry, maybe I just said both of the same thing, but yeah, basically not being a, a Pharisee and being, you know, completely exclusive in any case. Um, one thing that has really kind of set my mind at ease as, as this, I kind of weigh that burden of, of just that desire for unity on myself is realizing that, yeah, like, I mean, ultimately it's not ultimately up to us, right? Like we do have a, a local responsibility where we're going to have to determine things for maybe our group and, and even just, you know, our relationships. But then there's another aspect where it's just like, you know, you even see in the Bible, it's amazing to see there are times where people decide who's in fellowship with them and they're not right. Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't even, it's not even a condemnation on that church. It's just that they're doing the best they can to use the Bible as a standard, to practice love and grace. And at the end of the day, we're not perfect. Like, like we're not going to get this right without Jesus. And we're just going to have to do the best that we can. And so, I mean, like you think about like Paul, right? He ends up being Christ's apostle, but then the church in Jerusalem won't have fellowship with him initially you know it's like it's really amazing to see like the lord's like no like he's actually one who's saved but they're just like uh no (laughs) (laughs) and and in some ways it's like again you know kind of one of those things you know while you you sympathize with the disciples and they're misunderstanding you sympathize with the you know jerusalem church who's had this guy kill people, you know, like, and just, you know, maybe even like one of those things where they're just like, Hey, the risk isn't worth it. He could just be, you know, you know, faking it. <laughs> right. Well, like, and- necessarily like a, you know, um, prejudice as far as, Oh, we we're just holding a grudge as much as, Hey, just maybe we should be wise and use some discretion. Cause, uh, this guy is a clever, clever dude. And, you know, he might be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, that it's um, but I think that kind of goes back to what we're talking about about this unity in Christ and His forgiveness, His ability to you know that's that's the only way what that 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 could ever actually work out, and it did obviously in the long run work out. But I mean, that's the only way that that problem of letting someone who had been literally killing them uh join in their fellowship was because of this relationship with Christ. I I, I really appreciate you um you know coming on and, and sharing from your perspective because you really are in a very difficult and pretty unique situation, I think, from compared to most Christians, you know, being at a church that you're starting and um trying to prepare to face those those sorts of decisions is certainly intimidating and difficult and uh certainly uh Certainly wish you the best. We're praying for you about that. I'm going to do the best I can, just look into the standard, following what, what, what God says about different issues, you know, and just wanting that love and looking for this, the same kind of people who it's just like, yeah, they just, you know, who just have those hearts that are pure and, and you know, yeah, they they are sinful, but they recognize that that's wrong and they, they want to do better. And then realizing, too, like mistakes are going to be made and it's okay. I really appreciate you opening up and uh, being willing to talk about you know some of the things that you're facing, and I think that you know hearing from somebody who is a lot more specifically going through some of these things and having to wrestle with these issues in a way that a lot of us don't. I think that that you know hearing that thought process I think is is certainly um, mind opening um, and uh, uh, hopefully encouraging. This has been another episode of Following the Way. I would like to thank Brian Orr for taking the time to join me this evening. And I would like to also encourage you all to get in contact with the podcast with any of your questions or comments. Any feedback you may have, I'd love to hear from you. You can email us at followingthewaypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and have a great day.